Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. Okay. So we got Calhoun coming on. Talk about the Great Falls race. I'm excited to have Calhoun on. I think he's just what we need for this episode. So what is this? Geltman had a surprising trip in Colorado and is ready to not only move to the desert next to Hillicky, but also jump ship on Waka and go Dagger Phantom. Right. True. That's that's the way I heard it. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. We'll get it. We'll get it. <laughs> Just got a text from Jeff. Typing up my notes now. What are you all calling? <laughs> are you serious? He started on this like two days ago. Did. He's been pacing around his parents' basement right now for like (laughs) every once in a while. He goes over to like the rickety Sears weight bench, does a couple a couple sets. (laughs) Bench press, bonkers. Like shadow boxes in front of the Farrah Fawcett poster. (laughs) A couple seconds. Welcome to episode 66 of the Hammer Factor. This is the uh, emergency recording episode. Uh, Episode 4 of the John Weld Apologizes Tour. (laughs) John, you got them all up in a hussy, dude. I got it from every angle, you know? I'm glad you're getting it, not me. People would have... We took... took <laughs> to know or care to get a hold of me. Hey, I gotta ask: Do you guys get phone calls and texts after the show comes out for things that I said on the show? No. What happens is no, no, is no. Max I... Yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Max Blackburn. He comes to me the next morning. And he's sh- shaking his head, looking at me ruefully. And he goes, <laughs> "What do?" You do? And by <laughs> usually he has not listened to the show at that point, but he's expecting the worst. <laughs> Well, whatever Weld said the last episode, I don't even really remember it. I had about a dozen different people chatting me up, whether it was like, oh, God. Let's not worry about that. Let's not worry about that. Right now? Um, yeah, we're recording. Anyway, professional. I had about a dozen different people send me a message or hit me up on Facebook it was either, <laughs> dude, some of them were like, let me just tell you as a friend, what you're doing on the Hammer Factor is not good for you or anyone in the sport. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were, they were talking to you, actually. Dude, it was That's like called, a torrent. It's called concern trolling. It was like a torrent, so, man. Right. So you're talking, so to clear this up, everybody. Wait, 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 wait. About, Welcome yeah. to Hammer Factor 66, John Weld, Lewis Geltman, John Grace. Here we go. All right. All right. Up. Can I pick up where we left off? Or yeah. We just... No, 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 right. no, no, no. We're ready to rock. Sorry, I just didn't introduce the show, and I was going to, but then I got into the. I'm tired of listening to your gossip. So anyway, let me. All right. So, so to get everyone up to speed, last episode, uh, I mentioned that I had heard <laughs> <laughs> from numerous sources, and Grace and I had. Been, to be fair, Grace and I had been talking about this off the record about some some problems that Confluence was having financially. Now, 
<laughs> Admittedly, this is not. And so, you know, Max Blackburn, once again, the voice of reason at IR, he came to me and he was like, you know, would you want people going on the show and talking about IR being in financial stress? And the answer, of course, is no, I would not. That is the absolute truth. Uh, and, and, you know, the thing is, you start to think about Confluence as this giant, faceless entity. Um, but in fact, it employs a lot of people who we know, know and like and then make some great products. So, uh, yeah, should I have mentioned that in that particular way? Probably not. However, and there's no defense. However, I will say that this has been a very, very common topic of conversation within the industry. This is not something that's any big secret. Um, but you I've have heard to nothing... admit, you positioned yeah. it in a uh, in sort of a slanted way, just a little bit. Well, the, I mean, what the word of the streets pretty pretty downright awful, and we always hear bad rumors, but this one's been persistent. Anyway, if there's any upside to this, today we're going to have Scott Byers come on, who's the brand uh, the product manager for Dagger. He's been there forever. Uh, he's going to come on and talk about. He's going to give us this, the. Uh, the lowdown, or at least the the confluence side of the story, for sure. And that's just part of it. That's not even talking about the Swiftwater thing. Man, you guys were some did anything. there. Yeah, the Swiftwater rescue thing. I don't think we did anything wrong. We were asking legitimate questions. We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, though, right? <clears throat> oh yeah, for sure. We got a big show. We do the emergency recording episode. And then Calhoun's coming on too. We got a great wrap up of the Great Falls race. Um, I think Most Calhoun important kayak race on the East Coast, I believe. Exactly. What did you say, Gettman? I said the most important kayak race on the East Coast. Andy Bridge and I started that race. I think I mentioned this before. 1988. I think. Man. First, first invitation. It was an invitational. There were six of us racing. That was just like the coolest thing on earth when I was a camper at Valley Mill man like we just wanted in on that like <laughs> it was it was me Andy Bridge I'm gonna see if I can remember everybody. me Andy Bridge Tom McEwen Nelson Oldham I think Dan Isbister raced um maybe Andy Gross we need some uh, kind of t-shirt we need some kind of t-shirt that has like some little character of Kara yelling at Weld, being like, get on the mic and fix this mess. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I listen, can't, I can't hey, move hey, on. <laughs> listen, I know there's some haters out there, but this is the formula of the hammer factor. We come on, we talk about something that we have, we're, ha we're partially informed on at best. We make all sorts of judgments and spurious statements, and then... People come on and they tell us why we're wrong. Uh, it's a formula that I think that works. Hey, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I 100% agree with you as long on that. I'm not getting sued. I think it's functioning. Hey, if you're not doing it, Geltman's doing it. If Geltman's not doing it, I'm doing it. But anyway, yeah, we got some great falls coming up. What year was that when you guys did that first race? I think it was well, 88. In fact, I made, I made, I, I'm almost sure I told the story on the show before, but I made the t-shirts for that race in my basement. I had a silk, I made my own silk screening thing in my basement and I spelled invitational wrong on the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, I mean, talk about a collector's item. Oh. If you have a great falls invitational shirt, it's black and it was white silk screen and invitational spelled wrong. You could probably get well over $50 for that on eBay. <laughs> oh man. I had 
at some point we had like me and Ryan Bond and Andrew, we all got the the shirts from the Great Falls race, like well before we actually were able to race in the Great Falls race. But the uh that like got the guts shirt, the tank top. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> we're <laughs> yes, all I like do. we're like, you know, like eleven years old with arms the size of like a wrists <laughs> walking around in these tank tops and we're like <laughs> We're just like this is this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I'm not taking this shirt off ever. <laughs> uh, we're so off the rails. Well, I want to start out with a rave. I'm gonna rave about Benny Mar. You yeah. guys, I was just sitting down here. I mean, think about it. Like right now, Benny Mar is up on the stakeen trying to capture a golden egg. Are you guys aware of what the golden egg is? No. That's a one-day trip down the down the Stikin with no flips. What am I doing? What are you guys doing? Do you know what I'm Not saying? Not that. Exactly. Yeah. Ah, look, I'm thankful. There's all kinds of great things going on in my life, but you got to admit, just being up on the Stikin, living simple, just like, ah, if there's a reason for the hammer factor, it's that. I don't know how to encompass that or encapsulate it, but whew. anyway. Whatever. He spent some time at, at IR a couple months ago when he was trolling through town, and we had like a very philosophical two-hour discussion on the nature of boating. It was, it was very, very maybe I don't want to say Canadian because that's that that's that that's almost like a a slur, but <laughs> it was a very unusual conversation for Whitewater. I bet. Which actually, which actually, thinking about this, this brings me to something I need to mention. This is this is uh, something that I need to get off my chest. Not get off my chest, but I need to bring up. Have you? Are you guys familiar with this thing called Meme Boof on Instagram? No. Do you follow this cat? There's this guy. I I I think it's a guy, and it's Meme Boof on Instagram. All y'all in Hammer Factor, you you got to check this out. No one has a better finger on the pulse of paddle sports than Meme Boof. This guy has got it down cold. <laughs> Do you know this guy, Gelman? I, I'm familiar, yeah. Yeah, and he had a great post on Benny, Benny Mar as well. <laughs> what did I he think say? it's from Idaho. You just got to see it. Meme Boof. I got to give a shout out to this guy. He, he, I think he's from Idaho, which makes sense because he falls in to that Idaho tradition of classic sarcasm. <laughs> anyway. Eric. I just was turning on the show, turning on my computer, and catching up on a couple messages back and forth. And man, I gotta tell you, yeah, I remember the first time I'm. I'm I'm glad I'm not you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's why I asked. Do you guys get this, or am I the receiving end? I guess I'm the portal for all of this frustration. I have to go to the Paddle Sports Show next week, and and I suspect I'll get mine. Oh man, where do we go from here? Lewis, do you have any updates or anything that you would like to share with us since the last time we were on the horn here? Uh, I don't know, man. Same old. Just well, wait, wait, trying. wait. You went to you went to Colorado for a for a life changing paddling trip. Oh yeah, well yeah, I went out to I went out to Colorado for Ben Luck's wedding. Ben Luck of Team Beer fame and Allie Brown. The wedding was lovely. Um, but I got to do like a, a absurd amount of paddling for like a whirlwind wedding trip and I'm ready to 
substantially upgrade my opinion of Colorado kayaking, Ooh. even though the best part of the paddling trip I, I'm forbidden to talk about. I feel like really? I've reached this point where everything I do that's cool, I don't want to talk about on Hammer Factor because I don't want anybody else to know about it. You went to like a new but, undiscovered run or something like this? Uh, not it's it's around if you know where to look for it. But uh, so you, are we moving to Colorado? I mean, I'm Hillicky has building a compound out there. I'm sure you could go there and. I got to stay at the Hillicky compound. I, uh, it was actually the first time I met the Hillicky's, which is awesome. They're super cool. How was that? Really fun to get to power Tommy a little bit and uh, hang out with Polly. Their kids are out of town, but their house is sick, and it was just, yeah, it was fun hanging out with those guys. So none of the kids were there. None of the kids. Ah oh, man, you had but some rare Hillicky there. Yeah. They're... Or they're shredders from Benny, actually. <laughs> so you're on the Phantom train now, Lewis. That's what the show is. Uh, that's going a little far, but I did paddle the Phantom out there. I, uh, I paddled it on Gore Canyon, which is like pretty sweet, man. Like I'm a fan of Gore, um, and uh, I like the Phantom. While we're on the the making amends with Confluence train, I uh, yeah, I thought the Phantom was pretty good. It was uh, it was fast. Didn't do anything super weird. Stayed on top really well without doing too much. Uh, I don't know, having the bow come up so much and slowing down like the uh, like the OG or like the you know the boats with a ton of rocker tend to do. Felt like I was sort of fighting the bow a little bit at times, but I maybe part of that is just that paddling <clears throat> the OG and the tuna one for a minute now has sort of like ruined me on anything other than the easiest possible kayak. But uh, yeah, I thought that Phantom was pretty good. I was like pretty favorably impressed with it not enough that i'm gonna stop battling the og but i would put it in my on my short list if i were i, if I were pa- in the market i paddled one of the prototypes of that boat uh van Staatmeister had one out east and i used on every a couple times yeah oh. I, I liked it i thought it was good <laughs> I've, I've spent some time in it i thought it was good <laughs> Do we need do we need to cover this uh, biblical warfare email that you sent over, Lewis? Talking oh, about Jesus, Representative Matt Shea. It's this guy out in eastern Washington. If you guys listen to that Bundyville podcast, I listened by, to a little bit on the email, but I couldn't make it through it. It's quite lengthy. It's it's by like a reporter from Oregon Public Broadcasting. He's pretty good. And she followed like the first season was about the Malheur standoff and all the business down at. Uh, the Bundyville Ranch down in Nevada. And then she just released this second season that's about sort of uh, right-wing white nationalist extremism in the West. And in addition to being just generally fairly terrifying, they talk a lot about this guy, Matt Shea, who's in the state legislature in Washington, who's like from, you know, far Eastern Washington. And it's just like batshit crazy as far as I can tell, (laughs) just like an appalling person. And uh, well sent this 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 like little little uh, political wire snippet about like state legislator calls for biblical warfare and like before I clicked on the link I was like I fucking know who this is sure enough it's that guy and but I I don't even know what to say besides check out that uh, that. Bundyville podcast is pretty good, especially I thought season two was maybe even a little better than season one. And 
I don't know, if you're driving around in the Coeur d'Alene, Spokane area, and you start seeing, like, 3%er stickers and people with, like, AR-15 t-shirts, like, keep your head down and drive the other way, as far as I can tell, it's the moral of that story. Oh, it's a pretty fabulous article. There's some, there's some, there's some fun stuff to follow down. I'll put that in the show notes. Is that the one of the Guardian? On Political Wire. Yeah, I think it linked to a Guardian article. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it did. <laughs> but anyway, that's worth uh, that's worth going down the rabbit hole on. I, it, I mean, it, it is like slightly relevant too because like these guys are all tied into this uh, this movement to turn over the public lands to the states. You know, it's like all tied into this weird right wing worldview, and it's like. I mean, it's it's tempting just to sort of roll your eyes at these guys because they're just crackpots, except that, you know, like, one of their leaders is in the state legislature in Washington, and, like, they have the ear of people in D.C., and, like, now there's this fuck who's the new interim uh, head of the Bureau of Land Management who doesn't believe in public lands, and it's like, it's, <laughs> all, like, it's, it's not conspiracy theory to say that this stuff is all tied together in a, in a frightening and appalling way. It's like these guys have insinuated their way into power a lot a lot more than any of us would sort of like to see you know it's it's everything is fucked it's like a deep state so it's not like a deep state it's just like a like a right-wing bunch of kooks who are you know (laughs) like like accumulating power through these structures of of white supremacy it's just it's fucked up (laughs) Did Clinton kill Epstein? Jesus Christ, Grace. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, we're on the same vein here. I mean, somehow. <sighs> anyway. Captain Obvious over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was a good 20, 30 minutes right there. I don't know what just <laughs> happened. Um. Anyway, all of this, listener mail, rants and raves, um... Man, before we uh, call Scott Byers, I want to read this email. I thought it was really good. This comes at us um, from Dan Thurber. And we'll get to some other emails here in a second. But I want to read through this whole thing because it was pretty good. Did you guys read this one from Dan? Yeah. He says, hey, fellas, I really appreciate the conversation you guys had on Swiftwater classes in the last episode. I've been teaching courses for about nine years now, and I mostly agree with most of what you said in rationalizing capitalized not having taken a swift water rescue uh, course that's Part- surprising particular on point that there is no substitute for experience and if i got vertically pinned i would probably much rather have the hammer factor crew coming down to save me than a group of second year raft guys that just took my course kayaker focused courses probably weren't readily available when you all got into the sport if you had to choose True just that. one a woofer would probably be much more beneficial to seasoned kayakers At the same time, I obviously take a lot of pride in what the courses can offer to paddlers and very much think that every boater should take one. I had a couple thoughts I want to offer in the conversation. So he kind of makes three points here that I I think are worth mentioning that we've talked about. One, uh, I think you brought this up, John. One big difference between uh, Swiftwater Rescue courses and AVI 1 courses is the breadth of the audience. AVI courses are pretty explicitly geared towards backcountry skiers and splitboarders. Swiftwater uh, students may include kayakers, commercial guides running paddle rafts or boats, or motor rigs, pack rafters, private boating 
parents, fisheries, biology, search and rescue, etc., etc., uh, pulling people out of cars in floods. There's way too much going on there, there to provide a single course that is productive for everyone. When searching for a class, people should get a sense of who the instructor is and find someone with legitimate experience in their discipline. I thought that was good beta for our listeners. So if you're going to get a, you know, do a swift water class, get one that is taught by someone who is, in fact, a whitewater kiger. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing, so we got a bunch of emails on this, and they all kind of, and Dan, I think, you know, I think he summed up best, but the general sen- the general sentiment out there was that swift water rescue class is really mostly geared towards novice paddlers, which is true, but it, but it begs the question, why are we calling swift, swift water rescue? Why don't we just call this kayak instruction? This should be part of just normal everyday kayak instruction. Um, I think the, the, the confusion comes is that if you have swift water rescue, swift water rescue training, you're prepared to actually handle a class five, you know, situ- you know, situation, a rescue, which I don't know that that's the case or, you know, how much good those classes will do in those situations. And I think we're talking about the AVI courses, you, you know, I, I guess one way to th- look at it is, you know, in terms of sports, you have a spectrum of sports with, say, like avalanche training on one hand where there's specific things you can do, right? It's a very controlled environment and there's specific things you can do with actual, you know, measurable results. Um, or even like motocross or mountain biking where you're going to get banged up and having, you know, the training to take care of somebody to triage and something like that is actually really useful and, and can be a huge help. But, you know, part of one of the weird things about kayaking, is kind of like, it's kind of like big wave surfing where, in, in both these situations, a lot of cases, you're either completely fine or you're dead. You know, it's kind of really black and white. And if you get held down for three waves, you know, in Mavericks, you drown. And people are just going to circle around and watch you drown, you know. Now, I don't think kayaking is quite in that same same thing. But, you know, I, I think there is, there is a, you know, when you get to start running Class 5 Whitewater, there's only so much you can be taught to handle those situations. But I don't know. It's so many. There's so many variables here. And that story you told last show about the pulling Tommy out of Kiwi in a pocket was simply outstanding. By the way, I'm not sure what to make of it, but it was an incredible story. <laughs> well, let me. And, fin- I, I yeah. agree with you on everything you're saying, but let me finish his, and I'll summarize quickly here. He says, number two, in 95% of rescues, your best tool is your boat and skills to control it. This comes back to what you were just saying, John, about a kayaking class. You know, the best thing you can do you know is have a kayaking class he says at lunch breaks at the play parks or while waiting on shuttle think about practicing swimming into eddies paddling a swim across the river or doing a roll with two paddles in your hands so pretty interesting there and then finally his his third point uh, much what i uh, teach is designed to contribute to a solid rescue safety mindset group group dynamics and better understanding of rivers um, Grace told the story of vertical extraction and aperture of vertical rescues per se are beyond the scope of a typ- typical class, but we do teach all the tools uh, that you need for something like that, building anchors, rope strength, prussics, mechanical advantage, etc. I think most paddlers would agree that they are better off learning these sort of things in a classroom setting than trying to figure them out during an epic shitstorm on a remote canyon. And yes, all throw bags should be at least 65 feet long. This is Dan Thurber, lead instructor from the Swift Water Safety Institute. So, I think we're saying the same thing. So we throw it out there on the hammer factor. It seems... No. That was a... Uh... That was like a lot more measured than I was expecting in response. I was expecting we were going to get a lot of emails back from Swiftwater Rescue people telling us what a disservice we're doing by, <laughs> by downplaying the importance of this. Yeah. 
I think, I mean, I think, if, I mean, I think my takeaway is that these are skills that shouldn't be isolated to Swiftwater Rescue. They should just be taught in kayak instruction. And I don't think enough people take kayak instruction, period. Um, you know, I see all sorts of good boaters. I taught kayaking for a long time. I see all sorts of good boaters out there have just make really stupid technique errors that are wasting tons of energy and keeping them from running hard at whitewater, you know, because they, they just don't have the, the knowledge, you know. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Well, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. You know, and I it's think, like I, mean, I think that's what it comes down to too. Is it's just such a like it's like everything you were saying about about avalanche rescue, John. Is it's like you know, like kayak, like safety in kayaking and rescue scenarios. It's like it's just such an experience game. And like if you're starting, you know, getting that swift water rescue training is probably a really good like leg up on nothing. But it's just it, that's the beginning of the conversation, not not the end. You know. Did you guys see that video that Rogan sent in of Dane rescuing Manger and Raven's Fork at, at quite high water? I did see that. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, I... <laughs> first of all, you got to put that video in the show notes because it's remarkable. It's a remarkable video, right? Because Manger gets plugged in this hole and immediately back enters. It goes right back into it. And to his credit, he, he keeps his head together enough to actually try and jam his boat nose first into the thing to end her out because I think he realizes he's not getting out of it. That's the first thing he does, uh, which is, I don't know, requires a, a very calm head. But then he get, proceeds to get the god served out of him for a good, I don't know, couple minutes while Dane, you know, Dane's capturing this on his GoPro and sort of very, <laughs> very slowly and, and deliberately walking around to try and find a good place to throw him a rope <laughs> while Manger's just getting served and served and served. Uh, and you have to hand it to Manger. I mean, that's a serious physical exertion there to stay in that hole for as long as he did. And finally, Dane gets him a rope and pulls this guy out, although I think if he would have swam, he probably flushed out anyway. But Yeah, I got to say. Like, what do you make of that? I, what I make of that is, like, I, I have, like, real, real deep misgivings about throwing anybody a rope while they're surfing a hole or while they're in their boat generally well, he, speaking and like he flips like, and like stream it gets like the figure eight going over yeah. his boat and his paddle and like and, and, and the, i mean i think what was good there is like those guys were communicating and like manger knew it was coming and wanted it right it's right. like do not ever throw somebody a rope while they're surfing who's like not expecting it or doesn't want it or like like because I, I don't think I would want that if I were Manger necessarily. Like, I mean, well, he did. What would you cool. have done there? If you say, what would you, what would you have done if you were Manger? And what would you have done if you were Dane in that situation? Well, we have to set the scene a little better here. It's just the two of them. Right. There's no right. other help on the river. It's high right. water. He's yeah. stuck in a hole that's perched immediately above an undercut sloping 20 foot slide. I've never seen this thing. So, can you get, can you get wedged under there if you're swimming? Oh, it's a horrible crack over on the left. Yeah. It look it doesn't it's hard to tell from the video how bad that really is. It's not a place that you want to swim for sure. But okay. regardless, it's 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 some compelling footage. He also sends another video clip over that we should diagnose. But right now, guys <laughs> right now the creature craft God. one. Yeah, the creature craft one is really no good. Value in that. The creature craft one is really good and I wanna spend a good bit of time. And I wanna do like I wanna do a special live hammer factor play-by-play play where we actually play this and just commentate on it because it's I just, just gonna be like like four minutes of just being like now they're getting beaten now they're getting beaten <laughs> now they're getting beaten creature crafting is so fucking stupid <laughs> okay let's see if we can get mr byers on the line here 
<laughs> I want to get like I want to get the the, the the teeming millions in the creature craft world to start writing Lewis Gelman hate mail now. <laughs> No, they'll write me haste mail. They're all care of John Gray. Yeah, they, it'll all come to me. You know, we'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa! I didn't say it. I like you guys in your creature crafts. This is what happens: is we take six weeks off, and we have a lot of pent up <laughs> controversy to stir up. Right, we're shot out of a cannon. God, dude. Oh, okay, here we go. Let's see if this gets Scott on the line here. Is Scott there? Yeah, Scott. Hey, Scott. John Grace here. You're on the line with Lewis Geltman and John Weld at the Hammer Factor. Well, what's going on, guys? Oh, man. We're just uh, talking about creature crafts. Nice. Well, I'm going to go ahead and apologize up front. Uh, if I sound like I'm in a restroom, I am not. In fact, um, I'm in a conference room off the side of the building here, and unfortunately, the acoustics are poor. So I assure you, um, I'm not install one. Uh, it's no big deal. We wouldn't care if you were. But anyway, thank you for coming on the show. Um, we covered this. Yeah, thanks. Uh, are, are Lewis and Weld, are you there? All right, Scott, I'm going to have to hang on. Yeah. Let me see what I can do here. I've lost. Um... Let's see if we can add them into the call here. I have no idea what just happened here. You there? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Is, hey, hey. is Lewis there? Uh, no, not yet. I don't know what just happened there. But uh, I have Scott on the line. Well, are you still there? I am. Okay. All right, now now we're all back. Sorry about that. No worries. All right, guys, I got Scott Byers on the line from Confluence Kayaks. You are on the Hammer Factor here with Lewis Geltman and John Weld. How are you doing? Oh, man, not too bad at all. Uh, thanks for having me on, uh, by the way. This is a great opportunity to kind of chat. And uh, it's first time on the Hammer Factor as well. Yeah, so all right. Kind of award or, or call out for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> long-time listener, first-time caller. Your, All right, your so... certificate suitable for framing will be in the mail in six to eight weeks. So, so let's wrap this I'll up, Scott. Up. Hey, Scott, I'm sorry, and uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for coming on. <laughs> You're ready for your dressing down now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's time for the dressing down. So basically, Scott, so last show um, we started recording – uh, well drops a bombshell that all this is going on with Confluence and basically leads us into this dialogue. And right. as soon as we popped the show up, I got calls. I got calls, phone calls. I got texts on my phone. I got email messages, and I got Instagram messages all basically kind of throwing me under the bus. And so we decided... Oh, just for the record, so, so did so did I. <laughs> okay. All on the show. All text. Instagram messages. 
All went unnoticed. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's a, a flattering thing or not, but the bottom line is right. we have called this emergency episode, which is what we're calling episode 66 here, for two reasons. I... One, to say swift water rescue training is not bad, and two, to clear the air on Confluence Kayak. So, Scott, did you hear – did you listen to the last episode? And if you didn't – John, can I you did. summarize? You <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, can you summarize what you were trying to say in the last show to Scott? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, to summarize, we – if you're in the industry, you've been hearing – you know, there's always rumors in paddle sports, right? And they're, they're never good. They're always – someone's going out of business. Um, but usually they, they get dispatched pretty quickly. Um, this has been a persistent one. Um, that Confluence was in trouble and uh, it hurt it enough by enough people that um, I thought it was worth discussing on the show. As I mentioned at the start of the show, I, obviously that maybe wasn't the best idea. But uh, anyway, here we are. Um, and so I thought this would be a great chance to have Scott come on and explain exactly why I have this all completely wrong. Right. Well, I, again, I really appreciate you guys letting me come on. Um, and just to, to be clear, I've, I've been in the industry for about 25 years now. So I've seen uh, kind of the ebb and flow of both our company in terms of mergers and acquisitions um, and in terms of uh, furloughs and layoffs. Um, and that applies, obviously, not just to our company, but to you know, kayak manufacturers at large. So I've seen a lot um, in my, my stint here. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that you're right. There are always rumors um, out there about um, it's either our company or, you know, the guys down the road or the guys, you know, a couple of states over or, 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 right. So, yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me come on and kind of clear the air on some of this a little bit and, and kind of give some um, background and a little bit of, uh, I guess, color to, to the situation. So we had, so before we get started, we had a list. And he just went, he was, in a general sense, wanted us to explain things better. You know, a lot of what we talk about is kind of inside sure. baseball. And he actually mentioned Confluence by name, not really knowing what it is. Um, yeah. I, I, it's probably appropriate to start with just explaining maybe a very brief history of Confluence and what you guys, you know, how you guys are structured yeah. and what you guys do. Yeah, not a problem at all. Um, I think I'm the keeper of the library at this point. So um, I'm definitely <laughs> qualified. Um uh, so originally, uh, of course, all of the brands are rep represented here, uh, Dagger Perception, Wilderness Systems, Mad River, Boardwork Surf's Up, um, Harmony Gear, Adventure Technology Paddles, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all were individually owned, operated um, um, companies out of, out of either out of someone's garage initially or, you know, some shop uh, to it's, you know, where it is today. Um, originally, Perception Dagger uh, merged in uh, 98, 99. Um, under the Watermark umbrella, um, and from there, uh, Watermark and then Confluence Water Sports merged in 2004-ish uh, to become Confluence uh, Water Sports. So that that linked Dagger Perception Wilderness Systems and Mad River together um, and AT Paddles. Um, so, uh, and then in just a few years later, uh, Confluence Outdoor was formed uh, and became kind of the new face, which is more or less where it is today. So. Yeah, since 1998, 99, we've gone through 
um, a few mergers, uh, and of course, all of those entities kind of compiled, and now they're uh, located here in Greenville, South Carolina. So, explain this to to explain this to me. So, how like who? This is the biggest paddle sports organization in the world, right? Yeah, it's pretty pretty damn close. Can I say damn? I can say damn, right? Pretty whatever you want here on the Hammer Factor. <laughs> you know, I mean, the Fair usual enough. paddle, the usual paddle sports company, whether it be a retailer or a, you know a brand like Cocatat or IR or whatever, is just a guy or you know a, a guy and his wife or whoever start, uh, or a wife mm-hmm. and her husband start a a paddle sports company, and that's the beginning and the end of it. But you guys have a you guys have a lot more going on in terms of corporate structure. Ooh. Like who we certainly who, do. Who looks at like when you, who looks at, at paddle sports and they're like, yeah, we're going to invest. And I'm assuming there's investors, millions of dollars into mm-hmm. this industry. Like, how does that work? Absolutely. Um, so we're privately held, um, and you're correct. There are investors associated with that, um, and they they look at the market, they look at the opportunities there, um, and opportunities for growth, um, and then kind of the long-term staying power. Um, you know, of course, with with you know private equity um, companies. Um, like that, that hold us, you know, that they're usually looking for something around, um, you know, for, for an opportunity to sell and make profit, of course. But um, the nice thing about where we are is uh, it's this space requires, you know, a bit longer to um, allow that kind of opportunity to mature, if you will. Um, That's one way really of putting it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and we're kind of ready for the next thing, I guess. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. So, I mean, it, you, I mean, you, people do this in order to, to build it up and sell it. It, it. The timeline of that may be year, months, or years, but that's the general idea. Is that correct? It, it present. Well, I'm sorry. Say it again. The, I mean, the general concept is is that these investors get together and they they either buy, you know, they they take over Confluence or they start acquiring more brands. The idea that they're going to ramp up sales and they're going to resell it to somebody. Is that, is that the general, and it may, it may take years. It may some, Correct. Sometimes that's, that, that's true. Um, you know, but again, I, I've, you know, I've seen other um, groups that have, um, have looked at it as an opportunity for an kind of um, investment for their future as well. So it's less about getting rid of the company and more about like, you know, make, just securing, you know, um, kind of their foundation as well. So it's, it just depends on the group, to be honest with you. Scott, and, where are these rumors of problems financially with Confluence coming from, and is there any merit? What's going on? What you know, for the people who really yeah, want to it, hear this, what's going on? It, well, well, what I know is it's coming from Hammer Factor. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's coming from John Well. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, I'm not going to speculate on where they're coming from, to be honest. Um, you know, that again, since I've been, um, I was, you know, originally a perception employee, right? Um, and the day that we merged uh, with Dagger, which that was a lot of fun, um, you know, it became the rumor mill just started flying at that point. I'm sure you guys remember um, the rumors of deception, perception, and Dagger merging. You know, the new company's deception. I'm sure you heard that. I you know, we that. were a front for the Bank of Islam at one point. <laughs> it's all a rumor. Uh, so where it comes from, I don't care. I've become kind of um, um, immune to it. I think at this point. But you know, the reality is, is um, we're a business, and you know, we have to run our business just like anyone else would, whether you're um, held privately or you're you know, still the original CEO founder of your company. 
um, working in a shop. Uh, you know, everybody has a business to run. We employ 350 to 450 employees uh, year-round. Our factory runs, you know, five days a week, three shifts. We're producing a lot of boats. Our business, just like, you know, anyone's business in paddle sports, is seasonal. So do we experience furloughs and layoffs um, you know, year-round or at a season of the year uh, once, you know, kind of the demand starts waning down? Absolutely, we do. Everyone does. I can tell you that's for sure. <laughs> um, but for us, did we recently have a, um, a layoff? Yes, we did. We laid off a few employees. Um, was it to the degree that, you know, I heard on the last episode? No, it was not. Well, what I heard after the last episode came out is I got calls from a lot of people. And if anything that I'm saying here, I should not say on the show, I'm happy to edit it out, Scott. But yeah. there are some yeah. close to a dozen new models coming out is what I'm hearing. That Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that. We have um, a total of 14 brand new models uh, across the breadth of our brands um, hitting a paddle sports retailer next week. Uh, so those will be on display. Um, in addition, we have three or four models that are kind of making comebacks. Um, uh, so they've been out in the market before and coming back around. Uh, um, do you so have an we, announcement we have on the outburst to make right now? The outburst? <laughs> I'm like, where is that at at this point? Have you hit the $2,000 mark? <laughs> I, I, I actually have not looked. I, do, I need to check on that. Um, we are... Yeah, I need to know. <laughs> <clears throat> That's the beauty of my job is I get to be the fly on the wall and see those kind of things. So I'm stoked to hear that um, there's so much uh, um, uh, excitement around that model. And, uh, I, you know, frankly, I haven't paddled one either. And um, now I'm going to look to borrow Snowy's first chance I get, which hey, Snowy has one. <laughs> hey, word on the street is all you got to do is raise the knee height and you're good to go. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's, I've heard that too. We do have some really cool models coming out for Dagger next year, though. And uh, if you're interested, I'm happy to kind of announce them here first on Hammer Factor. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> nice. So uh, new for 2019 and then early 2020, um, we're releasing a new line of kind of half-slice boats called the Rewind series. Uh, three sizes, um, a small, medium, and large. Uh, and essentially what it is is uh, you're getting um, kind of the bow um, and rocker flare of the, of the Phantom, uh, not quite so much volume, but uh, pretty similar in terms of skip and popping away from things, uh, with a wider, flatter stern um, and longer uh, tail um, on the backside. So uh, you get the boat that you can really, um, we call it the one-boat quiver because you can really run anything with it. Um, we've had it um, prototypes on face phase two prototypes on the west coast of course uh todd wells has this out there we've got um, um bobby uh, miller and jeff calhoun um they're just crushing it up the great balls uh, they're playing in it um and everyone around here from hunter cooper to you know of course snowy and our team guys around here uh, are a bit playing in it here so you may have seen it on the water a good bit but um i'm i'm really excited about this boat um, it does mean the axioms will be kind of uh, leaving us, but they've been here since 2009, so we'll give them a nod and say thank you very much. But uh, what you're picking up in this boat is so, so much more. Um, um, just to, you know, watching guys run the green and something like this has been so much fun. So, And they're so comfortable in it as well. has a full step-out wall, um, just like in our full Contour Ergo Creek seating. Uh, so the full seating system, um, it's got enough volume. You can wear your Creek boots inside of it. 
Um, you know, it, it's such a good boat. I just I can't wait for you guys to get your hands on some. What else you got in the dagger line? Is that is that longboat coming out? <laughs> the Vanguard? Yeah. <laughs> That's super stealth at this point, uh, but we'll have to get you in it soon. <laughs> I'll let you know more. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, it, it did really well up at Great Falls, uh, you know, first and second place. So pretty uh, pretty happy to see those results for sure. Does that answer your question, Weld? So what else is that? So you have you have the you have the rewind, and what else is coming out? Um, everything else is more or less in the perception uh, wilderness systems range. So I'm not sure, you know, if you guys want to talk kayak fishing or <laughs> talk yeah. wreck, we'll pass wreck on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but so, uh, you know we've got a couple of models that are returning for dagger uh the roll 95 which is kind of a crossover sit-in model uh, the old surf boat the chaos is coming back and of course the torrent um it'd be interesting to know how many of your listeners have have actually learned to paddle whitewater in a in a torrent um, because it's one of the oldest sit on top whitewater boats in the line so it's a great boat i remember the torrent so, can we talk about Snowy? Is that fair game, or should we not, not yeah. get into that? Yeah, we can talk about Snowy. He's still right. here. <laughs> is he still there? Is still he employed, is. Like, or is he working freelance? He, well, so he's still employed with us. He still works for um, for Dagger. He is freelance, so he's you know literally uh, five minutes from here because that's where he lives. Um, and the the beauty of it is that we can have um, as the brand manager and as Snowy as our designer. Uh, we can have quick business meetings at the local taco stand pretty quick, and it's really nice. But it's, it's you know, it's good for him. He's able to be a lot more mobile, um, able to be, you know, kind of out and eyes out, um, you know, kind of seeing trends as well. But still full-time, still designing, you know, all of our boats for Dagger. Um, and I see him here. I think, actually, I see him here more now than I did even before. And he sat uh, less than 15 feet from me. <laughs> So what's so? I mean, let's talk about boat designers in general, right? Because this is this is a pretty yeah. rarefied breed. I mean, it's t getting a guy or gal to design a whitewater boat is not an easy task, right? Because first no. of all, you're you're looking at yeah. ten or fifteen years of making garbage before mm -hmm. you know, just learning the ropes before you even begin to start making a good boat design, and then unless you get really lucky, <laughs> unless you get really lucky, at least Lewis is shaking his head. He'll get a say here in a second, but. And then, you know, you're dealing with the fact that, you know, these guys have skills that if they're in any or any other industry, they're going to get paid three times as much um, with that same engineering and CAD skills, right? I mean, you go to automotive yeah, or any I'll be other to see job. If, I'll be interested to see if Snowy goes to Mercedes after that last podcast. <laughs> right. Last and so, but you're looking at a landscape worldwide where you have five or six whitewater boat designers, right? You have Snowy. You have, what, David Knight, Robert Pearson, Shane. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just Kenny Mutton. It's just a handful of guys. I mean, what's I mean, what's the succession plan? Like, who do you have in the pipeline to to pick up the mantle when when a Snowy decides to retire at whatever point you know down the road? Or like, how does well, that work? Yeah. Well, let's hope it never comes to that. <laughs> um, I I really enjoy working with Snowy, I, and I've I've worked with a lot of designers, and um, I just there's and, and, you know, nothing against anybody else, but this guy. He really is one of the best, without a doubt. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anyone put as much time and energy um, and thought into every curve, um, every corner, every angle, every shape, um, you know, the width, the length. I mean, he just agonizes over every detail. And if you've ever paddled with him, 
um, and he's testing with you in a prototype, um, you know, he, he, he will pull into an eddy in a heartbeat and whip out a notebook and start writing down notes and, um, and uh, you know, typing up things and, and films everything he possibly can. So, um, I, I, you know, again, we're just super fortunate to have that guy on our team. He is one of the best. Um, but, yeah, that said, it, it's, a, it's a tough gig for sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that requires um, not only an in-depth um, kind of uh, knowledge of, you know, kind of how water reacts to, to shapes um, um, and accomplishes what you want to do, but, you know, the science behind it is also um, in how that translates into a finished product, uh, meaning, you know, you, you've got to back into um, the, the final shape that you want by, you know, counting on and measuring um, the shrinkage rate of, of resin and plastic. Um, you've got to think about how much that, that mold needs to, you know, be shaped in order to offset that. Um, so, and, you know, people like, you know, Snowy and you know, some of these other guys that have been in the industry a long time, they figured out that, that science. So, to your earlier point, it, it takes a while for people to, to get to that point. Thankfully, we have um, a handful of other designers here as well. And again, not that we would ever want to see anything, you know, go for Snowy to leave, but, you know, some of the other designers we have um, are definitely coming into their own in terms of boat design. And they may not be per se whitewater um, designers at this point, but, you know, the, the possibility is always there especially as they you kind of grow and understand um, and shape and the way water influences that. And a bit, but even even more intangible is if you're a whitewater boat designer, you kind of have to be able to meet boating culture. You have to intersect with boating culture with your designs. I mean, you have to sort Absolutely. of look what's going on out there and sort of what see what the sport's doing and where they're headed and where their mindset is. Yeah, right, I, mean, I see yeah, you just chomping at the totally bit agree. so much. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> yeah. guess I, my, well, you know, other, my sense yeah. of the, the interaction between – I mean, I, I guess I, I think of it as very different. Like I see people who are, you know, formerly really good boat designers or, you know, who are just sort of like growing stale in what they're doing. I think virtually every bad boat I've seen come out in the last 10 years has been preceded by like screaming warning signs from that company's team paddlers being like, this boat sucks, like, like change this, like this is a problem. And whoever is is working for the kayak manufacturer kind of like ignoring that feedback and thinking that they're somebody who knows better. And, you know, to me, it seems like like when you get a really good whitewater design, like more often than not, it's coming from somebody from, you know, it's coming from a younger designer who's still, you know, a relatively good paddler who, you know, has found some way around sort of this, uh, you know, the really high barriers to entry of getting into this role or getting this opportunity to design boats, like, you know, like whether it's guys like, you know, the Waka guys who are, you know, really young, good paddlers, or when Pat Keller had opportunities to design boats, like, mm -hmm. like the green boat at Dagger or the Brap at Liquid Logic, like when, you know, you see guys who are really good paddlers who get that opportunity to get in the door and really like, you know, maybe work with somebody who's a really experienced designer mm -hmm. like Snowy or whoever it might be and have that really good rapport, you know, like when people who are really kind of like at the top of the game have the opportunity to like get that input on kayak design, what comes out seems more often than not to be really good. And when that input gets ignored, what comes out tends to be kind of like a dud. I don't know. That's my, yeah, uh, my take yeah, on I've it from seen, the outside. 
Yeah, sure. I've seen some of that in, in a variety of uh, kind of aspects of paddle sports, not just whitewater, but I, I know what you mean. Um, you know, and it's, it's definitely good to see people up and coming and, you know, bringing in kind of fresh ideas and um, kind of concepts around, uh, you know, again, how, how we play with water, right? Um, but, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting job. I, it, one of the things I, I find interesting, really cool, is that, I, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm unique to this. Um, I hope I'm not. <laughs> but uh, I find that I, I find a designer um, that um, I paddle more like, and I'm nowhere close to the, the paddler that um, most of these designers are by any stretch. But um, it's either fit or shape or something, but their designs tend to, to fit me really well. So it makes, and it's not just because you know, I'm the Dagger brand manager and I love paddling Dagger boats. But, uh, you know, Snowy's designs for me um, have always just kind of like I can paddle his boats. I know predictably how they're going to handle um, and, uh, you know, how they're going to react. And it just fits my style as well. Um, I said the same thing to uh, Shane years ago um, when he was designing for us as well. Um, just the, the kind of the same shape, same designs. And um, you start to feel that, that, oh, yeah, there's, there's that designer's kind of take on on this design and, and I recognize it and, and appreciate it. So I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, Scott, but tell me what, tell me your thoughts on the state of retail in paddle sports. Who? <laughs> I mean, we talk that's about a, this a lot a on one. the, sh- we talk about this a lot on the show, just how important that local retailer is to everything that's yeah. going on. And That's right, and I, and I think you, the whole yeah. rumor thing—the whole rumor thing—got. I mean, one of the things that gave that fuel was, we're—I think we're definitely in a huge upheaval right now in the industry in terms of that. You know, I mean, it seems like anything well, can happen. I mean, CKS isn't even in business anymore. That's crazy. Right. right? Well, so is it? But it's just the—is it the online or is it the um, the main oh, the street? On, the online. Uh, main, main street is still. Yeah. Still, yeah. Well, yeah. Still fine. Um, yeah, so retail is, uh, I don't know, you know, we, we definitely look at a lot of data points and, and we talk, obviously, to as many retailers as I'm sure most of you guys do as well about you know, the state of the industry, state of retail. Um, it's, it's obviously evolving as well, right? Um, you're seeing um, a lot of uh, evolution um, in how consumers um, shop and spend money. Um, you know, what we hear is, you know, foot traffic is down at retail locations, Um uh, and most have tried to move to some sort of an online presence as well uh, to, you know, capture that at once moment with consumers too. But I, I 100% agree with you that um, the in-store retail opportunity is where it's at. Um, I think that it's important for outfitters to be outfitters, especially in our sport, um, because, you know, you, you can look at a boat online um, and you can, um, um, you know, dial in all the features and benefits and bullets underneath it. But the harsh reality is that there's a fit component there that's unique to every individual. Um, someone needs to listen to their story and say, this is the boat that you need um, based on what you're telling me and go over kind of the pros and cons of that. Um, and uh, and that's, that's, that experience is worth its weight in gold. So, um, you know, I think that's, I mean, unless you just as a consumer know the product and know the industry so well that, you know, you can, you can pick something. It's, it's just to me um, having that interaction and having that support at a retail level is, is kind of so important. And so I'm a former role here was, I was also the director of customer service 
uh, and we handle as uh, many consumer calls, though we don't do direct sales as we do retailers calling in to place orders. Um, and 90% of the calls that we get are that exactly. It's how do I find the right boat for me? Um, is, should I be looking at this boat or that boat? And I'm like, well, the best thing you can do is go demo it. The best thing you can do is go talk to the shop employee that knows the water that you're paddling in as well. Um, I can speculate, but, you know, your firsthand um, um, a representative there that can walk you through that is, is what you need at this point. But, I mean, you guys have the probably the biggest retailer network out there. Are you seeing any – I mean, what are you seeing? Um, it's so, I mean, it's retail is still like in-store retail is still strong in some areas. Um, I think that retailers and store retailers, brick and mortar, uh, retailers, um, are evolving, um, more of the way they sell, not necessarily just online, but, um, how they um, interact with consumers outside of the store, whether it be their social media channel, you know, putting out more, um, more content and videos themselves, especially like new product, things like that just to get consumers to walk in the door and see, you know, what they've got going on. And that's a great idea. I hear it from um, a number of the retailers all the time. And as soon as you can get new product information to me, get a sample over here, I'm going to do a product walkthrough, or I'm going to put it on the water and give, you know, reviews, um, things like that. And that helps for sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, e-commerce is, is not something that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, it's, you know, more and more people are shopping online. Um, um, uh, I think John is you last week said that you're, uh, you bought a element for your heater, um, on Amazon and it was delivered the next day and you're ready to roll. That's, you still are going to have a group of consumers that, um, that absolutely need that instant satisfaction and aren't willing to wait and willing to you know, kind of gamble and see what they get. So e-commerce is, is here to stay. Um, it's just at what level and um, how much do you want to invest and participate in it? Hmm. We well, can do what Lewis does, which is just, Whatever Evan tells him to paddle, he paddles. That's, yeah, it works great. <laughs> it's pretty quick, quick and easy. <laughs> <laughs> works great. <laughs> so where are these rumors coming from, Scott? What's is there any any like where did they just come from? You know? Well, I mean, it came from. I mean, the whole a bunch of people we know got laid off on the West Coast, right? I mean, we're not making this stuff up out of whole cloth. Well, again, we like I mentioned, we, we certainly had a recent layoff that's part of our seasonal ebb and flow. Um, it's, it's a little sooner than we usually see, but, um, it, you know, I'm not denying the fact that, that we, we definitely had a layoff. Um, it wasn't nearly to the scale. It wasn't half the West Coast team. Um, it wasn't half our rep force. Um, again, we, we have 350 to 450 employees here. Um, I would say roughly – a hundred are um, kind of office employees from, you know, in-house sales, um, marketing sales, um, you, you name it, product world, engineers, uh, and, you know, the rest is manufacturing. But um, it's, again, it's, it, it's not that I'm denying that at all. It's more that it's, it's kind of a natural occurrence um, in our industry and certainly for us. Again, for us, you know, the season really starts to come to an end, um, you know, now, rapid, right after Labor Day, usually. And we'll have a, a bit of a lull in terms of what we need to manufacture based on the overall demand until, you know, we start seeing a spike again in uh, late December, January. And then we ramp back up and, um, you know, have to produce, you know, all the thousands of boats we do. So um, I'm not denying any of it. Where do those rumors come from? 
guys, I, I, again, I've 25 years, I've, I've heard them all and uh, I, I can't tell you where they all come from. Um, you know, there's some of it that, you know, that is true. I, we, you know, we did have a, a smaller layoff, um, but is it, you know, is it catastrophic? Absolutely not. I mean, look at the, you know, 14 plus models we're launching next year. We're heavily invested in both ourselves and in the industry. I bet it was a shyster's liquid logic who started this rumor. <laughs> I think I'm, I think it was John. It's a well. joke. It's a joke, Shane. I'm sorry. It's a joke. What do you, I'm sorry. Everybody relax. Whatever you say, Weld. Did you have? Do you have fewer retailers now than you did ten years ago? And if oh, so, to what to. what tune? I mean, um, do you, no, John? We don't. In fact, we actually. I think we have more. Um, more. Um, again, so you know, coming from the the customer service and sales side of my background, you know, of I, you know, we, we definitely have, you know, a, a lot of retailers that have been called along the way, mostly because, I mean, this is a tough industry. Um, and, you know, if you just see, you know, shiny things and, and want to chase, you know, <laughs> dollars, you know, kayaks is a tough job. Um, again, we talked about the, the retail space need and, and uh, the staffing need required to support something like that. But, you know, it's a big investment. Kayaks take up a lot of room. Um, and you definitely have seen people that have just kind of hopped on the bandwagon thinking, you know, they, they can make this and realize that they didn't. But at the same time, you've, you've seen, you know, other groups that have come along and, and really made it happen and, and um, had, you know, really good experiences. So with, with that, I, I feel like, you know, in terms of our overall um, um, dealer support or dealer network out there, uh, we've grown. And in fact, you know, we're, we're global. So. Yeah, we're shipping all over the world. Do you guys do you guys sell to Walmart? No, we do not. So, what's your stance on those kinds of stores? I mean, what's your what's your philosophy on that? Well, um, <laughs> I um, I have a, I definitely have one. I, I want to kind of temper what I say. <laughs> Come on, lay it on um, here. Nobody listens to the show. Yeah, this is this right, is like right, right. people. Well, I, will, I will say I will say this. So um, it's that's the the opening price point boats. Is, that's what we call it, and it's truly kind of the the bottom of the realm. There, you're talking about the you know ninety nine dollars of you know one hundred ninety nine dollar kayaks that are out there at your know, Costco's and Walmart's have um, certainly impacted every manufacturer I know that plays in that space, that, that rec category. Um, and it's, it's tough. What is, what it's done to the market in terms of just boat saturation and consumer, um, expectation of product, um, has been, has been really tough. Um, my personal stance on those is, um, they're not as safe as they claim to be. Um, generally their uh, capacity ratings are way off of uh, reality. Um, their designs um, just plain suck, if I'm be honest. <laughs> um, and I've, I, you know, part of my job, I'm also the brand manager for Perception Kayaks. So, um, you know, we we I have purchased those kayaks just to check them out and to see, you know, what's the fuss about and why do consumers love it? And I scratch my head every time. Um, you know, and and the truth is, is you know, if they paddled the boat, they paddled better. Um, they wouldn't be buying these boats to begin with. They would know better. Well, they buy um, it so because that's, it's a hundred. That's the challenge that I have. But I mean, it's a hundred ninety-nine dollar paddle yeah. with with a boat, you it's know. Just a, it's just a commodity piece. Yeah, it's just, it's um, it's it's quite sad, but um, you know, it's it is what it is. We just learned to to work around it and and do our thing and let them do theirs. Do you think a company you, like Dagger um, should you, 
make these price point boats and sell them with some way to connect with that person who bought them and eventually upsell them and increase their paddling skills I, and make them basically a member well, of the paddling community? I think that's probably not a, um, a role for Dagger so much, uh, given that Dagger has a, a kind of a demographic and, and identity. Um, but perception kayaks for sure. Um, have you, I don't, I, probably not, but have you guys seen, um, last year we launched uh, kind of some ad campaigns around yak offs. Um, the oh, yeah, I remember the yak offs. Yeah. So we've got two versions of that out there. And the whole idea was to help consumers understand not just the difference in the product that we make, but, but also like just, just for a minute and just think about what you're doing. <laughs> Um, I get it. You know, it, it, it's right there, you know, at the candy aisle at Costco or right there at checkout. And, you know, it's roughly the size of a suitcase and you can put it under your arm and you know, load it up with your dog food and you know, push it out in the cart to your vehicle and good luck getting it home. Um, but, you know, it's the, the tough reality is, is that it's not just a pool toy. You know, a kayak is, is something else entirely. And the experience that you should be getting out of it is very different. And uh, that's, that's the message we try to push, you know, should we chase something in that opening price point? Um, you know, I'm, I'm personally not, uh, not in favor of that. And I think that, you know, we play where we play and we get the demographic that we're aiming at. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what they want to do. Then, you know, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep spending the uh, time and energy on education. Well, the record has been set straight here on the hammer factor. <laughs> ebbs and flows and uh essentially well this was all a conspiracy theory right fake news mm -hmm. guilty well, as charged it's good to be set straight well scott i certainly appreciate you coming on the show and uh man i'm glad you got a bunch of texts and everything from that show like i did <laughs> yeah for sure show. and uh, again guys i really appreciate you letting me uh letting me come on and uh yeah looking forward to, to more of these great awesome well, scott yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for taking taking the time to come on. All right. Right you, on, guys. Uh, are, I guess we'll see you at TFR next week. Yeah. Are we gonna Are we gonna yeah. see that Vanguard at, at Green Race just for the team, or is this gonna be like an available boat at that time? Um, I you would speculate mostly team. Um, so uh, it's it's um we're definitely getting calls um and <laughs> from team and everyone else. But uh, most likely just team at this point. So, okay. But you never know. We're um, we're a mystery. That's why the rumor mills always float around. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for the time, Scott. Cool. Yeah, thanks, yeah Scott. absolutely, guys. Thanks, Scott. Have the best. I mean, there you go. Well, conspiracy. I mean, yeah. th there's some credit there to the ebbs and the flows and. I mean, you know, just imagine looking at their balance sheet and the way all that's happening. I mean, when's Max getting laid off? That's the question. Uh, he'll he'll he's gonna outlast me probably. <laughs> 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 I think everyone agrees he's more valuable than uh, I am around here. Uh, <laughs> well, are you in bed right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you in a hotel or something? Where are you? No. Uh, I had to come home. I, we have a new office has no internet in it, so I had to come. I had to come home to record. Dude, your dramas of no heat, no internet, the places of offices that you have been to over the years. Listen, man. it's kayaking, man. You got to cobble this existence together. It's not. It's not for the faint of heart.
And that's why I'm, I'm quick to spring on conspiracy theories about whitewater business shitting the bed. So well, what's, what's the over-under after that conversation? Eight months? <laughs> <laughs> Should we give Lewis his phone number right now so you can write the text to him? <laughs> yes. Lewis, can you recite Thank your you. phone number? Because you please, that, please. That... <laughs> <sighs> Oh, man. Should we just move on to Calhoos here? Because he just sent an email over that says Calhoos sets the world on Calhoos fire. Just sent, sent us a manifesto. It is oh, truly. No. I don't know how I'm going to summarize all this. We're not. Let's just pick and choose the things we want Calhoun to talk about, which I think should be the Great Falls race and get, him yelling at Weld about Dagger. Let's get the mute button ready. If he starts going off, just mute him. <sighs> Do you think he has to like borrow his mom's phone or what's that? Come on now. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's in the opening. I recorded it. <laughs> that wasn't my joke. That was just me. You know. Whatever. Alright, so we'll see if we can get Jeff on the line here. Jeff certainly has a, a laundry list of items that he would like to air grievances to here on the Hammer Factor. There he is. Is he there? Mr. Calhoun. That's now it. Grace has like the fuzzy Hallmark background. How's it feel? <laughs> oh, gee, it feels so good. <sighs> Hang on, let's see if we can let me text Calhoun. Let me use another form of technology. <sighs> That was not satisfying. Yeah. I feel like I have so many questions and I don't know how to ask them without being a dick. Dude, just figure roll that one with out. it, man. What did you want to ask? Yeah, what did you want to ask? I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm interested in like where the pressure comes from for the layoffs. Like, like where does, does somebody in accounting at private equity headquarters in some office building in Manhattan be like, you guys got to reduce the workforce by 10% now? Or like, like, where does that come from? And it's like, I know there are people who are meant to be, you know, more seasonal employees or like, you know, ebbs and flows, but like, like sales reps, like that seems like kind of like a permanent job position to me. Like you can't just like lay somebody off and then bring it back in six months. Right. I mean, it's not the same as like laying off like a molder. Listen, comrade, this isn't France. Okay. Am I out to lunch on this? We fire people. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm, I don't know. Sorry. I'm just, I'm. Maybe I'm just in Alex Jones' world over here with the conspiracy theories. <laughs> I, I think you're the other other side of that one. I think you're uh, you're hitting Elizabeth Warren socialism territory here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all in, man. I, I mean, listen. I, I look at any any big company that's sitting on white a uh, whitewater brand, and I'm thinking, when are they going to pull the trigger on this? I said that about Sweet. I said that about uh, Bomber Gear when they got bought by. Confluence. I mean, anytime yeah, a big company totally. gets involved with Whitewater, to me, it's a ticking clock before they're like, "This is dumb." Yeah, this I makes, mean, I guess this makes no it sense. It's like, it's like if that's if the decision is driven by trying to make money. Yeah, it's like, why are you in this industry? It's like, like there's, it's like the only thing that keeps you going is like enthusiasm for kayaking, right? Right. Right. Exactly. Hey, Calhoun, listen to me. Have you ever taken a Swiftwater rescue class? 
Um, not in a very long time. But you did when you were first starting out. Jeff's internet must not be rocking in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you all right. There? Thanks, Jeff, for calling in. Let's move on to. Are you there, are you there Jeff? Are you are you yeah, on high qu- high quality internet here? Yeah, it should be. Okay. I can Where be. are you? In my parents' basement. <laughs> <laughs> are you really? Yeah. <laughs> we just. Could you just I even the walked ca- off the stairs so they don't bother me. Could you just spin the camera around so I could take a look at – I want to see the NFL lamp and the Farrah Fawcett poster, okay. <laughs> if you don't mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is like cribs, yeah, man. Yeah, 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 oh, look. Yeah. Okay. Little mini fridge. Where's the bong? <laughs> Ping pong table. That's sweet. Yeah. Squirt boat. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> This is like a Cribs TV Cribs, except for <laughs> kayaking superstars. I gotta like climb up in the rafters to find the bong, so. <laughs> oh god! I don't know what happened with this show. I don't know what happened. I don't know where we're at. I don't know what's going on. I'm just. Oh, gonna... geez, you guys off the rails again. We're way off so the you said you took a swiftwater rescue class when you were just starting out or whereabouts in your paddling career? Yeah, it was super early and I've been – yeah, I mean you guys – you busted me. I'm like – I could definitely use a refresher. Um, just, you know, there's – I pick up things along the way and, and, and you know, from from people – but but as far as like actually taking a course, um, no, it, it's not really not. – it's been too long. Before we so, dig too deep into conspiracy theories and fake news here, it, it, pardon me for interrupting you, John, but can we get into the race? Because it looked like you had a great race up there, good attendance, and the whole nine yards. So can you give us a wrap-up of what went down? Did you say John? No, John was getting ready to say something. Oh, yeah, well, I was yeah. going to say we should introduce Calhoun, because there's people out there who do not know who Calhoun As hard as it is to believe, we do not know who Jeff Calhoun is. Jeff, no, introduce, think... introduce yourself for our audience. And that's one thing we, we have got to work on, and we've had several people write us in about this. We've got to start being, uh, you know, getting that's out okay. of the weeds. Yeah. We shouldn't make Jeff, Jeff introduce himself. That's hard. Well, he's a Team D paddler. He's been paddling forever. He's won the upstream world championships so new, yeah, every, uh, spawn <laughs> valley new, mill he's valley mill paddler popularizer of the plastic bag pogies oh yeah yeah for sure um although i learned that from people at valley mill for sure like uh you know bruce and those guys like you know that that was just sort of thing that uh you know, someone would inevitably forget gear and you would always need them. And yeah, I mean, like having Ziploc bags in your dry bag is just too easy. Um, I had to pull them out on, on Forks of the Kern a couple of years ago, uh, you know, in, in June even, uh, because it was snowing in Forks of the Kern and all these California guys are like in their ripper, uh, what do you call them, uh, antics and, and rippers and whatever, and they're like ready to play and and it's snowing and they're freezing and they can't, you know, like feel their hands. And I just like pulled out my pogue, my, my Ziploc pogies and had the best day ever. Forks of the current at four grand. And those guys are suffering. Um, yeah. So eat that Noria. 
But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I was on the U.S. Wildwater team for uh, for several years, junior and senior. I was a uh, national champion, mostly mostly a sprinter. Uh, Andrew would always kick my butt in the longer races, but I was pretty good at the shorter races. Um, and then I got into creaking, like ironically, like after I hurt my shoulder the first time was kind of when I got more into creaking and, uh, been on team dagger since 2006 or an ambassador or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, kind of started organizing the great falls race maybe six or seven years ago when, uh, when Tom McEwen got hurt, uh, and kind of, kind of gradually started taking over for him and then fully took over when we started the great falls foundation uh maybe four years ago and so i run all the on water stuff with uh the great falls race we we support we uh kind of uh backbone the top yacht race uh and a couple other events like that uh we supported the green river ladies takeover this year um we supported the little white race uh, especially a couple of years ago when they had some financial issues. And so we, you know, the foundation, I talked a little bit about this last time I was on the show, but we, you know, I started it basically, um, you know, there, I went to the little, the OB joyful race one time, uh, a long time ago. I think you were there, Grace, actually, or, uh, maybe, maybe it was just Shane Benedict, but, um, Shane Benedict got a fine, like a four figure multi-thousand dollar fine for running the OB joyful race without a permit. Uh, in Crested Butte, Colorado, and he Liquid Logic had to take that hit, and that that's not cool at all. And so that was kind of part of my motivation, you know, to create sort of a, a fund and an organization that can support these grassroots events and uh, you know prevent things individuals and, and businesses from from having to to suffer like that for organizing kayak races. So tell us about the race. What went down this year? Um, well, we had perfect water levels. It's like three, one, which is about, you know, 3,500 CFS race on the Virginia side, which is the highest quality, uh, section of great falls at this time. Um, just great lead in rapid technical, tricky, pushy, boily, uh, you know, seams, holes, everything you got to deal with. Um, just, a, you know, really short, you know, maybe 200 yard, yard long race course ends with a 20 foot waterfall. And, um, you know, we have, like I talked about last time, we've kind of made our race into not only the classic downriver race, but we organize a slalom event as well when, uh, when levels permit. Um, so we, I hung five gates on the Virginia side, which, uh, was, was pretty difficult to get permission to do. And they ended up actually not putting it in the permit, but sort of said, Hey, we're afraid to to set this precedent, you know, with the, with the park service, but, uh, you know, we won't say anything. So we hung five gates and, uh, by all accounts, it was pretty difficult. Although I think the gates I hung were, were kind of the traditional moves that we make, you know, when you're Eddie hopping your way down the Virginia side of the falls. And, um, I think only maybe four or five people out of the 25 that actually like really tried to do the slalom course, only only five of them actually made all the gates. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's supposed to be a hard race. You want to, we want to challenge the paddlers and 
and uh, and see what they could do. And I think the media that's coming out of this event is going to show that that uh, that that we're doing something really cool here. That's sweet, dude. I was wondering how you guys, if you guys had gotten permission to hang gates out there, because I know that's something that you know many. Like, I, like EJ wanted to have a slalom race in Great Falls like decades ago at this point and couldn't get permission right. from the Park Service. And Isn't that crazy something with... that for 40 years, you know, 50 even longer than that, that they've been having, you know, slalom here in this area, 40 years of running Great Falls, uh, now 31 years of the Great Falls race, and we're the first group to hang gates on Great Falls. We need some, like, legislation that would, like, cut the red tape on stuff like that. We're on uh, Don't worry. There's going to be slalom gates yeah. everywhere before you know it. <laughs> you know what it is? There's, there's, there's historical, historical artifacts uh, on the riverbank, um, and they they really don't want people trampling around there. And part of our permit is that we have to kind of patrol the riverbank and keep pedestrians from uh, from wandering down to the river. And so we we have a whole. Not only do we have a safety team of of twenty, uh, mostly class four uh four plus boaters um who kind of get an orientation uh into you know great falls uh while they're you know studying safety we have uh, a shoreline crew that kind of makes sure that that you know no one you know gets in and 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 walks down to the river um and you know we so basically it's just strings you know uh, mason line and and you know some anchors and stuff tied around tree branches and uh you know i use rock climbing anchors cams and uh and uh what do you call them little the little metal chalk things and um that's sweet yeah i mean to people for people who have not been out to great falls in the potomac or don't know what we're talking about this is i mean this is about eight miles outside of washington dc it's international or a unit managed by the national park service it's uh you know observation decks on both sides of the river just like an extremely uh high profile place to be running class five like they're the eyes of many many tourists are upon you while you're out there doing your thing and consequently it's a place that uh yeah i mean you you really need to have good relationships with the 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 people who manage the the park service the the park there um you know because people are going to be watching you people are going to be doing stupid things and it's also a really difficult place to hang gates just because you know you're hang the river is probably a quarter of a mile wide there separated into a few different channels perfect for it because it's narrow trees on one side uh on the virginia shore um and and you know we've got you know using the rock climbing equipment we've we figured out how to do it um pretty well but yes you know you're always being watched out there unless it's you know snowing pretty much um and but i think the park is starting to realize that we are a real force for good on the river uh for example the day after the race um yesterday actually or two days after the race yesterday no anyways we're hiking back up for uh for one last lap and there is a dude wading into the river from the Virginia shore, uh, maybe 30 feet upstream of Norman's, um, the top drop on the Virginia side, U-hole, um, downstream of the start line. So super close to where the river turns class five. And, you know, I chased him off, but, um, 
you know, I went and, you know, ran over to the, the park rangers on the overlook uh, down at the spout and just was like, hey, yeah, there's the guy literally like waist deep, like walking out in the middle of it. Like, and, and, you know, they responded and, and I probably didn't need to do that. But, uh, you know, after I chased him off, but the point is that they, they have begin to trust us, that we are their eyes and ears and we're looking out for, for, for the, the visitors, but also uh, enforcing the rules. Um, and, you know, we play by their rules a little bit. Some of them are unfortunate. We're not allowed to get in. We're not, a put, not allowed to put in the river on the Virginia side above the falls, which is a problem. And we're working on that. The Great Falls Foundation and uh, uh, the GFKC, the Great, um, you know, is, is um, working on that to try and open that up um, because, well, you know, because it's, it's, it's inconvenient for the Virginia boaters to have to Portage down to Odeck, portage up Odeck, ferry across the bottom of the Maryland side, portage up the flake, and then go up the falls. Uh, yeah, that's like a boater. Um, you know, yeah, and to, I mean, to your earlier point, it's like if you spend enough time on the Potomac, like you will have the opportunity of stopping somebody from doing something extraordinarily stupid at some point in your kayaking career, probably many points in your kayaking career. Yeah, frequently. So, Jeff, if somebody was coming to do the race, how would it work? Did you do the traditional longboat sprint first and then cut it down to classes? How did, how, how did it, how did the flow work for a race? Yeah. Well, ideal. I think in a perfect world, we would do the slalom last with kind of like a fun party lap, but we do it first because, um, I'm setting the gates up the night before and while everybody's practicing and we're getting the safety crew set up, we have that opportunity. Um, Aaron Mann actually, uh, took charge of, of setting the gates uh, the morning of the race and um, because he wasn't doing the slalom. And uh, you can give him a hard time about that for sure. But uh, he's saving himself, dude. I don't know. Come on, let's um, stay on point. Stay on point. <laughs> this is on point. He's always on point. <laughs> shit is, is what you guys do. Come on. Um, and definitely what I do. So, yeah. Um, so we got the gates set up. Uh, right before you know the event's ready to start, so we run the slalom first. Um, it's basically it should be easier in a creek boat. Uh, people do do it in long boats, but it's kind of designed to showcase uh, you know what a creek boat can do. Uh oh, what's going on, guys? What's going on? Um, you know, so ideally you bring both you both your both your boats out there and the creek boat uh, for the slalom race and. And all the guys who did the best in the, in the slalom race were in Creek boats. Um, and then once that slalom race is over, we hold it down over qualifier and that's everyone just top to bottom. doesn't matter if you have a long boat, short boat, uh, you are, you know, we get, you get a time and we take the top 10 from that downriver qualifier and, uh, we have a finals and, you know, the fastest time in the finals wins the trophy. And so you did all this on Saturday? Yeah. And it was pretty much all done by 1 o'clock on Saturday. Wow, nice work. Yeah. I heard, I heard four yeah. women racing this year. Yeah, we had four ladies. Um, it's been a little while since we've had uh, ladies in the race due to some water levels and, and, and poor scheduling. Last year, unfortunately, we uh, inadvertently uh, coincided with the ladies' takeover on the green. But... Uh, yeah, so four ladies this year. Ashley Nee raced for her first time and won. Um, Aaron Savage won the slalom event. 
Um, Ooh, that's got to stick in knees, crawl a little bit. Sorry? <laughs> so that's got to stick in knees, crawl a little bit. Yeah, I mean, she. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's been a long time coming for her to, to get comfortable um, at, with, with, with running the rapid, and I think this was a big big for her. So she's stoked. Um, yeah, so, and, and Sophie Reynoso also uh, from Invest. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great event. Um, and, and men's uh, results? Sorry? Give us the men's results. Um, yeah, so Aaron and I basically tied in the qualifier. Uh, and we were, you know, a significant, you know, we had a little bit of a cushion, and but we took the whole top 10. And as what usually happens, um, there were some surprises uh, as far as who made the top 10. I don't actually have the results in front of me, but, um, you know, uh, Nick Williams was in it, Kalen Friedensen, a uh, young guy, junior, slalom paddler. Um, I think he was the third qualifier. Uh, Jared Nozal, uh, Narzel, <laughs> he was, uh, he's actually filming for us. He made the video, um, you know, so definitely, you know, some people, some people snuck in that, that you wouldn't expect. And, um, that's the thing, you know, like with only one run to qualify, you have to, you have to be perfect. You have to go hard, uh, and don't make mistakes. Results, man. Results. Well, yeah, so I won, and uh, no, I didn't and win last year. Tad, Tad, Dennis, uh, Tad Dennis is injured. He was not here. What's wrong um, with Tad? He broke his thumb, dude, mountain biking. Oh, mountain biking. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I, uh, I got it again. Um, nice. on that. Um, Bobby Miller was second, and – and and this is so impressive to me because I I am not I am a critic of Bobby Miller's technique. Like, he did it. Did he close grip I it? I do not necessarily enjoy watching him paddle. Ooh, like, that's hard. Wow, but, we're gonna have to get Bobby on here. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Oh. And who was um, third? Well, Bobby. So yeah, I had a little a little cushion on Bobby, but Bobby beat everyone else by over a second, like a second and a half on on third place. Um, who was? Oh, geez. Am I supposed to know all this? That's what you're here for, my man. Uh, number one on your <laughs> list is Great Falls Race. We've got number two, right. three, four, five, six, seven. Number one is this race, Jeff. So you put on the race. You won the race. <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? Did you give yourself the trophy? <laughs> No, nah, man, I dude, uh, I, I, I was I was catching up on everything that you guys did and put on, and man, it looked like it was smooth top to bottom. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a dream, dude. Um, I mean, the slalom event was was just so so cool. The way, um, you know, having everyone do these moves and, and seeing people struggle with it. Um, by the way, Bobby Miller was also third in the slalom. Um, Peter Lutter was second. Nice. And uh, Tom Dahl won um, his first time at Great Falls, and uh, he showed us what's up. Um, super clean. So that was good to see. And what what kind of boots are these guys oh, in? Yeah, Jason, Beeks, Jason Beeks was third in the down river, by the way. Nice. Who, who, the, the guy who won the slalom, what kind of boat was he in? Uh, he was in a Nirvana. Peter Lutter was in a Nomad 8.5. Bobby was in a Phantom. Interesting. 
Yeah, and we actually have all the boats like that people were using in each event. We're going to have that on our results sheet. We're still working it out. We've got some, um, you know, some gate stuff to figure out and and some ch some challenges uh, we have to uh, address. You know, some video review. I meant to bring this up at the end of your your segment here, but I want to, it seems appropriate now to mention it. So the the sport the, the the sport needs something. Whitewater racing needs something. It needs a general list of boat lengths and boat classes for races. So I know we talked about this last year. Yeah, right? I know and, you talked me with doing. And that. I'm, I'm going to explain to you how it's going to be done, and you're just the person to do it. <laughs> exact, in so many ways, exactly the right person to do it. How you create a website. You? And you just break down the classes, and you put every boat into a class. Just make it up, whatever. And you have a good, you can make a good informed decision. People can solicit you, but you just offer it. Say, this is Jeff Calhoun's boat classes for 2020, and race organizers can use it. And if people and race organizers who do not ever want to deal with this ever, they can say we're using the Jeff Calhoun standard. And if you have any questions, go to the website. And then every year you can review it. You can be like, okay, we're updating with the new boat models, or you know, however frequently you want to do it. And it would take a huge weight off of so many boat or race organizers' shoulders. Totally. And and look, I've already thought about this, and and I have a little bit of an idea so far. And I, I think what's already established is that we have a cutoff at nine feet, and that's a good one. And then you also have a cutoff uh, at thirteen feet. Um, you know that separates your super long, fast, you know, sea kayak, wave hopper, phoenix, uh, wild water boat kind of boats from. The Stinger, which is 12 and a half, Vanguard, the, the 12R, the Green Boat, and, and all the other old school boats. What's more difficult is finding a cutoff in between there in the 11 foot range because right. you, there's, you know, all these, you know, there's tons of pirouettes. The pirouette S is like 10 foot nine, and the big pirouette is like 11 foot two and stuff like that. So it really sucks to split there. So I think nine feet and 13 feet should be the standard. We've decided it right now. That's how it is. All right, I'm on. I'm on board. But what about like the large Nirvana that's like nine two? Like yeah, you, should be able to race that in you can play that. In the too bad. <laughs> and how about the how about the short boats? Like, do you have a separate short boat? Like this guy wrote the show about asking about a short boat class in the green race. How's that going to work out? You mean short boat as in not under like way under nine feet? Yeah. Why like, would you want to do that? I don't know. It's like the juniors class. It's like there should be a class for. But the juniors are all the juniors are paddling nine foot boats. Damn it, Jeff! Do not fight me on this. I'm just telling you the way. <laughs> yeah, you want a playboat class? You want a playboat class in the upper golly race? You know how it goes. You get a, you get a thousand questions about boats uh, as organizing these races, and no one wants to. This this is where this is, is going to get settled. Not Any here, but on your web website. Well, let's let's move forward. Let's I move. Think this game was under the impression there was no yeah. existing short boat class. There's nothing under eight feet that you would ever consider racing. End of story. <laughs> like on the upper yacht race. Grace is going for yeah. his soccer picture. K1, <laughs> the K1 short class in the upper yacht is like nine to 11 feet. Um, you know, those, those, those classes that Kara uses. But, but Kara, that's what Kara does is she has like the wild water class. She has the plastic race boat, whatever, K1 super long class. And that, where, does wave, where does the wave hopper fit into this? Wave hoppers are like thirteen five. They're not thirteen five. They are. They're like, they're like eleven see, and a half feet. See, this is what our listeners are saying. Don't get too down in the weeds. Can you explain <laughs> things for the rest of us? All right. So moving on. Long boats. <laughs> I was looking over some of your footage, Jeff. 
And Ooh. it just looks so much cooler. Like the long boats, like boofing off the 20 footer at the end and just like the helmet cams of the long boats. Can you speak to yeah. like long boat popularity and all the haters back in the day and whatnot? Totally. I mean, long boats never died here. Um, we were always, always using them. There was, there was a dark period in the mid two thousands when Eric Jackson won the great falls race in a short boat, uh, um, and beat me, uh, in my T Canyon. Um, you know, the weight of, of the kayaks might've had something to do with that. The, the fact that we were starting side by side, head to head on an eddy line, um, you know, might have had something to do with it. Uh, or he just, or he just could have beat you. Yeah, well, when EJ wrote about it on his website, he, he was sure to mention that I was the defending 500 meter national champion at the time. Um, by the way, you guys didn't didn't cover that in your intro. By the way. Um, <laughs> All right, now we're getting to it. Now we're getting to it. All right. Um. Yeah, so the rocker has a lot to do with it. And, and you know, EJ and Cleet Clay Wright in 2006, 2007, they firmly believed that longboats were dead and they were not coming back. Do you remember and... when they called out the green boat? Do you remember Sorry? when? Do you remember when they called out the green boat and were basically like, this is the dumbest thing ever, it's bad for the sport? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking to them about that, and I was like, you guys, are, you, you're going to see. You're, you're fucking wrong. Uh, and, and they're fucking wrong. <laughs> now it's cool to see. I mean, real quick before we move on to point number three here um, in your manifesto, but tell us about uh, this Vanguard boat. Scott Byers said it's not coming out by Green Race, um, but you are paddling, and I guess like a select few people have, you know, like the team yeah. people, you know. Yeah, so so Bobby and Ian Winger and I have been sharing one. I just uh, delivered one to uh, for Todd Wells and Ian now that Ian's out west. Um, you know, uh, Hunter Cooper has got one down south. Isaac Hull's been racing it. Ian won the Upper Yacht race in it. Um, you know, so you know we're sharing it. Uh, we want to get more of them, but this is just the first prototype, and um, we are figuring out what we need to improve on it. And obviously, the boats pretty damn good um you know it's winning races it is fast um but it's a first prototype so it's still a work in progress compare and um, contrast but, it with the 12r well i haven't paddled the 12r too much i will say that the 12r is very maneuverable um it's pretty user friendly it's got a lot of rocker it's narrow it's tall um there's there's a lot of nice things about the 12r and i think they did a hell of a job on it um the, my motivation for the Vanguard, and, and I've been fortunate to be like really closely um, you know, involved with Snowy on designing this boat, is um, well, the, the, things I ha the problems I had with the green boat you know, from the beginning were that it's just like, so round. It's, it's a displacement hull kayak, and it's perfect for the green race, and that's why they call it the green boat. Um, it, it's really good for, going, for tobogganing downhill on low volume and, um, you know, doing go left and gorilla and, and the slides and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's a great boat and it will, the green boat will always be a great boat for the green race. But when I bring it out here on the Potomac and try to go surf Odek, um, you know, at 10,000 CFS, it's not the best boat at all. Um, and so I have, you know, trying to go attaining in it, trying to, you know, do big ferries and, and run great falls and stuff like that. Um, so I've been looking, I've been wanting to planning hull longboat. Um, 
I think there's some cool things going on now with these kind of squared off uh, edgy sterns that we're seeing in a lot of boats. And, and, and we've got that going on in the Vanguard. It's got way more knee volume, cockpit volume uh, for bigger people. Because like for me, the green boat totally changes my seating position. It lowers my knees. It makes me sit kind of, it's not like a slalom boat tight, but definitely way narrower knee position. Uh, that's that's not as comfortable for for long periods of time. It's it's hard to get gear in and out of the green boat. Um, you know, I've taken it down the Grand Canyon twice, and it's a little bit frustrating. You have to use small dry bags. Um, whereas the Stinger XP and the the whatever the Jackson Limited, you know, Rock Gardener, you know, Sea Kayaker hatch boat is, um, those boats are easier to get gear out of. So. Um, that's kind of our motivation, you know, is a better, edgier longboat for big water, um, carrying gear, expeditions, and, oh, by the way, we're going to win the green race in it. What about number three here on your manifesto, mm. putting paddle sports jobs at risk? Oh, boy. Well, Can you that, speak to this? That, well, I thought – I think that was Scott Byers' job to uh, to point out, you know, that, that Mr. Weld here is, is – uh, talking about things that he doesn't understand. And and it's unfortunate because <laughs> that's what your job is on this podcast, Well, You are the industry insider. Listen, regrettably, I understand paddle sports all too well. So, <laughs> so I think you're running out of important information. Because you've already told us how a dry suit works. You've explained how a spray skirt works. Yeah. Like, what is your function on this podcast? <laughs> like, do we need you anymore? I think we should replace you with someone who knows what they're talking about. You know, Thank you. There's a real, you, you make a really good right point, up. Calhoun, because I got to tell you, I got blown up. So, I mean, I'm just recording the show. I'm just over here recording it, uploading it. You know, I'm the water boy, okay? I'm the water boy. And I put it up, and next thing you know, my phone's blowing up. You're one of them, but you're only one of about 15 of them. So, mm -hmm. what is this point of putting jobs at risk? Well, when you tell people that, that a kayak company is on its way out um, and there's a lot of people that work at that kayak company, um, that's, yeah, I think that's pretty irresponsible. Um, and, and it's like, what, what is your goal here, John? Um, do, are you, are you anti-dagger? Are you, are you pro Pilata <laughs> now? I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not sure what your angle is. Um, I mean, con, I don't think Confluence would be much of a, of a paddle sports company without dagger. Um, yeah, is, this a is this a serious question? I mean, do you want a serious answer to this? I think we're looking for a serious answer. Okay. The serious answer is, is that I had heard this. I mean, great. First of all, to, to grace is coming across as a, you know, like instant as a driven snow over there, but he, uh, he, we talked about this before the show started as a topic of conversation and kind of the gist of it was, is that if you're in the industry, this is something you've been hearing for almost a year. And this drumbeat's getting louder and louder, and it sort of started to surpass what I consider to be your normal accomplice going out of business story. Now, should I have brought it up on the show in the way that I did? Of course, another question, which we talked about earlier. But uh, I thought it was it was worth mentioning. And the way the show works, in many cases, is I say things like this, or any of us say things like this, we immediately get called out on it, and we always have the person, you know, come back, come on the show, and explain themselves and set us straight. That's just that. That's a that's a a common structure of the show here. So, and that's what happened this time is Scott was nice enough to come on and tell us exactly how it was, or at least, uh, uh, you know, his, his thoughts on the subject. So that's it. 
But if you're in paddle sports, you probably you justify it, right? Sure. And not only that, let's assume, let's assume that 80% of the paddle sports retailers listen to this show, which is probably somewhere true. If they they've heard this rumor too, and so this is this is a, a, a maybe also right. really not a terrible thing. Let's separate paddle sports in general from Whitewater. I yep. mean, I I don't listen. I'm not. My concern that. is only Dagger. I mean, I don't care about Confluence. I mean, my concern is Dagger and what's yeah. going to happen with Dagger. Same here. Um, listen, dude, I walked back up to the parking lot the other day, and I was like, oh, who's got my boat? Uh, what? Hold on. There's, like, three purple Dagger Phantoms in a group of five people, you know, at, you know in the parking lot. Um, I think Dagger's doing all right we 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 may have um you know listen selling boats does not mean you're making money or making a profit and ej will be the first one to tell you that so that's that's not a that's faulty logic there but i'm not saying that i'm not suggesting that dagger is in, in economic distress i won't make that mistake anymore but perhaps but you know i think i think we've got some uh some big things coming uh we were definitely on the right track you know we had some fortunate misses in in the past few years um, you know, the, the, the nomad, you know, not being a boat that I'd want to paddle on, uh, you know, more than a thousand CFS, you know, I, I did paddle every... that on the cataract, so the current, you know, and, and that was, it was, it was okay. You know, like what the, the Machno wasn't much better, for example. Um, but, uh. You know, dude, the Phantom's a sick boat, and we've got this new half-slice boat coming out uh, that, uh, personally, it's, I, I'm, I'm not kidding you when I say it's my, the best boat I've ever paddled. It's, like, if, I wish I had one right now because I had so much fun in it this winter uh, playing on the Potomac at high water. Like, just, you know, really good balance on the stern, uh, great bow rocker for surfing, steep waves uh, without purling. Just super fun, you know, run the upper yacht in it, you know, way more confident on Great Falls in it than the Axiom. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about this boat. The large is going to be uh, nine and a half feet or so, so it's going to be able to surf the green waves on the Potomac that these other production boats can't. You know, the old Axiom, the big Axiom nine, nine and a half feet. Will that be able to be in your short boat Calhoun classification? <laughs> Negative, but um, uh, I think you should think about feet, that. Yeah. I think you should think about that. It was well, eight I think six. Media... I think it should be nine six. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, that's exciting. We've been waiting for some mid nine foot. No boats. doubt. So, no, the medium I think is going to be in the nine foot range. I'm not positive what the final measurements are, but the um, so like the large, the Axiom nine point was this huge tubby kayak, um, for for huge people that know that that didn't work for anyone and it was only nine feet long so it wasn't even fast enough to surf odek really i mean it, i guess i guess so but not like you want you want closer to 10 feet for odek um and and for rocky as well you know you nine foot is just the bare minimum so yeah this nine and a half foot um uh large rewind uh i think is going to be a super sick potomac boat and um i'm hopefully going to get a prototype here in in a few days Hmm. But, you know, having said that, you know, there, there's some things that Dagger could do better. Um, you know, we we need a small phantom. It's kind of unacceptable to me that we don't have a small phantom because when I talk to, you know, Anna Wagner, Aaron Savage, Ashley Nee, Ashley Nee paddles a small mamba and, and that works for her. But we don't have a 40 small kayak. I have nothing to, to offer the Anna Wagners 
of, of paddling right now, as far as um, an edgy, fast creek boat, a fun, a fun creek boat uh, for, for small people with short legs and, and narrow hips. We just don't have it right now. And that, that in my opinion, that's got to change. Well, there's a lot of stuff here on the manifesto where at an hour and 50 minutes, we're not going to be able to get into, but real quick, real quick before we, uh, let you go here, Jeff. And I certainly appreciate you coming on the show, but you talk a little bit here about solo boating. Mm, no, nah, let's, let's, I don't, that, that's, that's not really what I'm dying to talk to talk about. dude. <laughs> you guys, you guys have had 66 episodes and you've only had four women guests on your show is and I'm not even, it is that bad and it, i'm not even that doesn't even that doesn't count the uh the spinoff episode you had where you had uh kara rebecca and maria so four four female guests in 65 episodes that's that's not that's not doing a great job and there's I, a lot of see i think you're missing like 10 guests i think you're <laughs> i think you're missing some things here we've had adrian on the show before you you haven't called her out we had liz cook who was a physical therapist who we've called it you need to go back in the basement and re you know recalibrate but you're right uh, well, you know it's a classic episode you had uh, uh marion just a couple episodes yeah. ago yeah yeah i got her okay so maybe, maybe six or seven but still we're doing not better not Fake news, John. Yeah, what is your role here exactly on this show? <laughs> this is – This is – You guys are missing. Hammer you know? factor on Budsman, Jeff Calhoun. There's a lot, there's a lot of uh, nuance, you know, that if you if you actually talk to the women in Whitewater and, and hear what they're talking about and what what's what they're upset about, there's uh, there's some things, you know, like Jason Hale um, kind of dissed the ladies – uh, the green race on stage, you know, during the awards ceremony a couple of years ago. Um, it was kind of accidental, but it, you know, is when you really look at it, like for the green race, for example, you know, if, you, if you're going to call out the ladies of the green race for swimming, you got to acknowledge that every year 20 men are swimming in the green race. And so if one woman out of the seven or whatever women swims in the green race and you still have 20 out of 140 men, um, who, who's beatering harder? <laughs> you know, get, get your math major. You know, if, if you if you do math, you know you can you can figure that out. Um, so I think the ladies are trying to show that they run a tighter ship than the men, and they do. If you go to the upper yacht, you will see more male beaters just flailing and slashing. Uh, it, it's 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 ugly, dude. It's hard to watch these like shitty male kayakers do you want to plug uh, your tinder account right now before we crop up here <laughs> all right look to, My, you to, might want to move out of your parents basement first and we could get onto this subject look, look to be fair jason hale throws everybody under the bus during the green race myself included and you jeff he's definitely gonna like you're gonna be a bullseye this well, year you know what and jason second hale, and second is about the same as my worst time and so i don't care what he thinks and, <laughs> and second there was like uh, i was here to talk about uh, like some upstream championship or something like this second of all there were only six swims in the green race out of 180 competitors last year six six that's impressive that's almost as good as zero out of 50 
four years in a row. Dude, it's you got your years, janky you course up there on your polluted river with a bunch of mank, and it's <laughs> it's two minutes long tops <laughs> if you're on a good course and swirl around in some eddies. If you want to get started talking, comparing races, Calhoun, I can absolutely just decimate every single thing that you ever want to talk about on this point. Do you... (laughs) How are people swimming in the green race when there's no holes? Calhoun, look, look. I think that you need to put on... Oh, this is going to be Calhoun's year to swim. I'm going to pull up all of the crashes that I have at Calhoun going backwards off of Gorilla and just bring all those up there and just like let everybody know that what's that look for the footage of Calhoun swimming see if you can find it there's always a day wow dude you are on fire dude you're basically are you going to attack Lewis because you've certainly attacked me you've certainly attacked Weld I'm not attacking you Grace I'm attacking green green race beater culture can you... That is Grace. <laughs> that's that's John Grace. <laughs> yeah, John Grace. Yeah, you have you have this elitist thing going on up there, Calhoun. Somewhere right. somebody has to bring you in and bring you into the sport, so you're a lifelong member. Dude, yeah, there was. Well, we we learned to paddle the right way at Valley Mill. Oh, I learned to paddle, you know, before I learned to roll, and. I was a good paddler before I started paddling hard white water. That's just how it was. I'm done with this show. I, Goodbye. All right, that's it. Sometimes you just got to shut down the peanut gallery. We're two hours in here anyway. I got no interest in listening to Calhoun talk about green racers' lack of skill when he didn't even crack the top ten last year. See you next episode.